1: Hello and welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Behanna, joined, as always, with Hooks Orbit himself, Jim Rexner. Jim, how are you doing?
0: Doing great. Welcome, everybody, to the show, episode number 33 of this podcast. So, as we like to do, we'll talk famous number 33s in Pittsburgh Penguins history. Garrett, who's your favorite number 33?
1: My favorite number 33 has to be the most recent 33. The the man, the myth, the legend, some call him the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the, the greatest number 33 of all time. Mr. Greg McKeg, he spent the, those, those crucial 26 games he spent in a Pittsburgh Penguins uniform in the 2017-18 season, racking up four points as the fourth line center role before, I think it was before the Penguins traded for Riley Sheehan from Detroit. So we'll go with the immortal Greg McKeg. Jim, how about you?
0: This is another one that's pretty slim pickings, not yeah. not that many great ones throughout all time. Um, I guess I'll go with the one immediately prior to Greg McHagg, was, who's arguably, I think you could say, that one of the toughest people to ever play for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and Steve McIntyre, who was about 6'5", 250, and built like a truck, so I would go with him just in case I'm building for toughness, or in case he hears this and doesn't want to beat me up, so I'll go with Steve McIntyre.
1: And you're telling me, I mean, I have very, very faint memories of, of watching Steve McIntyre. I do know what his physique was like, he, and you described it perfectly, like a freight train. So, uh, yes, if he is listening, please don't hurt either of us. But, Jim, uh, it's a little bit of a slow news week for this episode of the podcast. The Penguins are currently on their league-mandated bye week coming out of the NHL's All-Star Weekend festivities, and uh, two Penguins... We were uh, invited into the NHL All-Star Weekend. That being goaltender Tristan Jari, and um, defenseman Chris Letang. So let's spend the next 15 seconds because I don't even think the the stats. I don't think I personally don't think the stats for the All-Star game mean much of anything. It was hard enough for me to track them down. So let's talk about what the Penguins did during All-Star Weekend. And I have right in front of me. Chris Letang was a minus four. Tristan Jari led in three goals. And uh, boy, it's that it sounds like a, a pretty nice way to uh, encapsulate and 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 an all-star performance. That's exactly what you want—a minus four from your defenseman and letting in three goals from your supposed number one net binder. Of course, take all of that with a grain of salt, Jim. Um, there were a couple of couple of bright spots for the Penguins, most notably uh, Chris Letang's son Alex seemingly stole the show at a QA and a event. But Jim, that's about all I have for the for the all-star game recap. Is there anything else you wanted to add?
0: No, nah, that about does it. Players don't put a lot of effort into that, and neither do we. I agree. There's not there's not anything really to take out of this unless a player wins MVP or something, and you can talk about that. But um, I guess the one thing, since the Metro Division had so many defensemen, Latang basically was acting like a forward at three-on-three. Three. So I know there's some some outcry every once in a while that, to put Letang as forward and see how that goes. And it didn't go so great for the Metro division because they lost their first game and nobody really looked like they cared all that much. So I guess we'll just leave it there.
1: You know what? You know, yeah, we'll leave it there, but I do want to say at least nobody of major concern, you know, nobody left the game with like a catastrophic injury. You know that's the last thing you want players to go to this event. And, you know, that catastrophically like tear their ACL or anything like that. At least none of that, none of that happened. So, that is a positive we can take out of NHL All-Star Weekend. Uh, the, the news piece that we have to talk about here is uh, the fact that Jim Rutherford, even during this bye week, uh, d- t- takes no days off, Jim. Uh, the Penguins have officially announced that defenseman Marcus Pedersen has signed a five-year extension that will give him $4.025 million per year at a cap hit. So Jim, with this being the the big news piece of the week, let's let's dis- dissect this, what this extension means for both Marcus Pedersen and the club moving forward. Uh, I think it it couldn't have come at a better time. I think Marcus Pedersen is having an incredibly solid season with the team. And, you know, we talked about it last week on the show, his pairing with John Marino. It has really, you know, they've really blossomed into a, a um, a four nice four fire a three four excuse me a nice three four pairing, um, you know someone a, a pairing that you can really rely on after presumably Dumoulin and Dumont and Latang are going to eat those larger minutes against a lot of those um, stiffer top lines, but um, Pedersen at only 23 years old we had a feeling we reported on at a previous episode of the podcast a number of months ago that this Pedersen deal was in the works it just couldn't come until a specific time period. Here it is. Pedersen extended five more years, and um, Jim, I think it's a nice reward. I I really, I don't have much to say. I think it's well deserved. I think it helps the club. I don't think this is an outlandish term or or a contract length. I I think everything about the contract and everything about the player, I think it fits relatively nicely.
0: Everything fits nicely, and everything in due time and due course, and. I'm I'm happy for Pedersen. If you add it up, actually, it it works out exactly. If you take this year's contract where the penguins just could only give him this qualifying offer and kind of needed him to just do them a solid and sign it and he didn't have leverage to do anything else he didn't have arbitration rights or anything like that so he was kind of at the mercy of just taking this one-year deal worth about eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars and you add that up to this extension he signed and it comes out to a six-year contract worth 21 million exactly so that, that was not done by mistake. They definitely made him right or whatever you want to say with this contract extension for him doing them a favor and giving them a, a favorable cap hit. They've kind of made up for it in the back end of, over these next five years, committing $4 million to him, which is – is that's that's a chunk of money that chose you for five years, for $4 million, a little over $4 million each year. The Penguins are committed to this guy. They like what they've seen. And he's only been with the team for about 13 or 14 months now. But you can tell he takes small, incremental, gradual steps all the time. When he first came over from Anaheim, I think over there he was playing 12 or 13 minutes a game. In Pittsburgh, that was pretty much 17 right off the bat. Then, like, gradually is 18. Now it's creeping up to 19. So he's becoming more of even, like, a fourth-type defenseman. And... He certainly has the upside with his skating and his skill and his ability to move the puck that he should be a a very good second line player, which is what they're paying him at. So that is great stuff. So I I think it's great for the player. It's great for the team to lock down an important piece for many years to come and hope that there's upside that he could be, if not a bargain, at at least a solid player for what they've invested in him.
1: Yeah, and I think a couple of people brought into the uh, into comparison um, the previous Olimata deal that was given. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, things didn't work out here in Pittsburgh. The number of injuries that Oli Mata sustained, never really living up to what we thought he would in his early days. I remember him being paired with Matt Niskin And, and you know, one thing led to another. Obviously, he was traded to Chicago, a little bit of a change of scenery trade. But, yeah, it is a—I I don't want to say it's a pretty penny. You know, a couple of years from now, if the salary cap increases, it looks like a little bit of a bargain paying, pay, paying Marcus Pedersen this kind of deal. But you look at this top four for the foreseeable future, you know, you get Brian Dumoulin. I don't think he's reached age 30 yet. Chris Letang has a couple of more—you would you would think a couple of more good years left in him. John Marino, a pleasant surprise, and Marcus Pedersen. That's a pretty, pretty good top four. I, I take that top four over any top four— throughout the rest of the NHL for the next couple of years, wouldn't you?
0: Sure, I mean, because that's what you're looking for is most of those guys are young, like you mentioned, except for Latang, and he's the number one guy, and his, his numbers, he's playing the fourth most minutes out of anyone in the league right now, so Latang's age isn't really a factor at this point. And to back up to what you were talking about, Olimata, even though his career didn't quite go the way everyone wanted it to, he still had enough value as a guy who was known as a young defenseman and a decent second pair guy. They were able to trade Olimata for a valuable piece. So if that's the worst thing that happens to Marcus Pedersen is he doesn't quite grow enough and they want to move on from him, then – there's probably going to be a market for him in a couple years to get something for him. So that's another benefit of at least if you're going to sign a guy, sign a guy who's in his early 20s, give him that kind of long-term deal to grow into. And and if you're giving it to a guy who, who's known as a good skater and a good puck mover, that's something that teams always covet and always want more of and you can never have enough of. And the Pens are lucky, like you mentioned. They got four guys like that locked down now for at least two years, if not longer, with Latang, Dumoulin, Marino, Pedersen, all reliable, all great for their roles, and all, all paid at rates that work for the team as well.
1: Exactly. Couldn't said it better myself, and uh, so let's move forward. Uh, like I said at the beginning of the show, there aren't uh, meaningful games that we have to recap here since our last episode. So what we'll do, Jim, is we'll look forward, instead of looking backward, we'll look forward at the Penguins' uh, next stretch of games and – uh, Jim, you even wrote about this on Pensburg a couple of days ago, uh, coming out of the All-Star break. That the the competition that the Penguins are going to face um, over these next couple of weeks ahead, I, I personally think, and you know your your article stated stated it, they're going to be tested over these next I don't know five to ten games, if not more. So let's talk about it. They come out of the All-Star break and their bye week on the 31st, January 31st, with a rematch against the Flyers. And one would think that they would probably have a little bit more pep in their step after, you know, basically going into the All-Star break and their bye week on e, losing that previous game uh, by a score of three to nothing. The Flyers are no slouch. I think they've won 27 games. They're uh, tw- yeah, 27 games. Uh, after the Flyers, they start off the month of February with the Washington Capitals, the heated division rival. Then they follow that up with the Tampa Bay Lightning who are 7-2-1 in their last 10 games. The Florida Panthers are also creeping up the Atlantic Division Division, division standings. Excuse me. Then they have another game with the Tampa Bay Lightning after the Florida Panthers. They play the Montreal Canadiens on February 14th, uh, the Red Wings on the 16th. Then they have stiff competition again with a home-and-home series, it looks like, against the Toronto Maple Leafs to begin the final stretch of February. So, Jim, looking at this stretch of the schedule, they're going to play some divisional uh, opponents uh, and a lot of um, higher-ups, I'll say, higher-ups in really the Eastern Conference with the likes of the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers. These aren't slouch teams that the Penguins were... Let's be honest, the Penguins, I thought, were quite fortunate to take care of business against some lower-end teams while they were dealing with uh, the prolonged injuries to Sidney Crosby and others. That's not to say that those points weren't deserved, those wins weren't deserved. They obviously were, but this stretch of games here could go on to tell quite a lot of what you're going to make when you look in the rearview mirror of this 2019-2020 season.
0: It's a very big stretch coming up, and— like you mentioned, you nailed it. Two rivals right out the gates. Philly, you know, that's always an intense game, and and we just saw in the last game that the Flyers are capable of beating the Penguins, so they'll have to show up for that, and that's that's both teams' first game back from the bye, so both teams will have the same issues there of knocking off the rust and doing all that, and at least for the Pens, they'll be at home. They don't have to travel that day as well, so that, that could be an advantage. Who knows? We'll see how that goes, and The other thing that sticks out is that it's now, or football season now, unfortunately, is coming to an end, which means that hockey games are going to be on NBC quite often on the afternoons, so the upcoming game against the Capitals on Sunday is is a day game, and then throughout the month, a lot of the weekend games they have are both Saturday and on Sundays are going to be daytime games, which depends. I think the record in day games tends to be lower, not by much, it feels like by a lot, but... But it is, I think, a little lower than it typically is. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. But, yeah, your point was right on earlier saying that the they did a good job while injured to pick up the slack and, and take piece, and take points away from other teams. And a lot of those games up to this point in the season, over half the games that the Pens have played to this point have been Western Conference games. And when you have an Eastern team against a Western team, sometimes both teams are just trying to get out of there and it's not as intense or as as really competitive as games are against conference teams or especially division teams, and that's going out the window because it's pretty much, you know, the next couple weeks it's going to be all either metropolitan or Atlantic division competition, and like you mentioned, a lot of it's tough too with seeing Tampa Bay twice, seeing Florida, seeing Toronto twice coming up pretty soon. So, yeah, it's going to be a very serious and intense stretch of games pretty soon here.
1: Yeah, Jim. All I can hope for is that you know, over this next stretch of games, number one, the Penguins don't lose anyone of real importance again, and number two, the Penguins, you know, get back all of the healthy bodies that we've been clamoring for: Justin Schultz, uh, Brian Dumoulin. I think I still think Brian Dumoulin's a little bit ways away from making his return. Nick Bukestad, you know, all of these guys who have been placed on the back burner and. You know, if I'm being honest with you, sometimes I forget that they're even on the team because they've been out for so long, and you're just accustomed to not seeing them on a nightly basis. If they can get these reinforcements against these these uh, against these tougher opponents, I think it could it could only do do them well, serve them well, because obviously you're going to need them.
0: Right, and it's unfortunate. Uh, Brian dumlin has been out since November 30th, and that's two months now. So he's missed more of the season than he's participated in in terms of just the days of the of the year so far, which is, is tough, and that's a good point by you that some of these guys could be coming back, if not very, very soon, then, hey, at least they're closer after this bye week. So that's another advantage the Pens will have, and I guess you figure, too, here that as some rumors and news kind of upticks a little that it's only probably a matter of time before some kind of trade is made and maybe some additions are coming in the form of, of a trade boost as well here. Who knows?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We know Jim Rutherford's history of wanting to make earlier trades than at the trade deadline itself. So, you know, to your point, like you said, we, I think we know Jim Rutherford's working the phones at this point, trying to see what's out there and, I'm I'm curious to see who he's dangling in front of these other teams that, um, you know, whether it, whether he's going after a rental or whether he's going after someone with a couple more years of control. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. It, at the very least, it'll be fun to watch because, um, you know, you'd like to hope the Penguins get up for these for these kinds of games against these divisional rivals and these, these tougher teams in the metropolitan and Atlantic divisions. At the very least, it'll be fun at the very worst. You hope that they don't go on a horrendous losing streak that back, that backtracks them to square one. So I agree with you. I think it'll be interesting to watch over the next couple of weeks, heading into the end of February in the trade deadline. But uh, yeah, we'll certainly keep an eye on what the penguins will do coming out of the all-star break and into the month of February. Uh, Jim, switching gears now, we're going to head into our mailbag segment. For those interested in listening who have never participated in the mailbag segment before, you can do so by following our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account, at Pod. Every Tuesday, I'll send out a mailbag question tweet asking for your participation. Uh, No question is off-limits, and we have a couple of fun questions in here that really have nothing to do with hockey. I believe the first one really has nothing to do with hockey. Yeah, you you can just participate on Twitter and uh, we'll pick all. We we encourage anyone who's anyone to just participate and ask away. We love getting the participation. Jim, as always, you'll get first crack at this week's mailbag opener. Sean's Ramblings uh, asks What are your thoughts about the Pirates trading Starling Marte? Hey, Sean.
0: Um, My thoughts are as usual. The Pirates make a negative move. It looks like they're just trying to save some money, and I believe they got two 19-year-old players, too. I don't know much about them. I don't think they're the absolute best prospects that Arizona had, so that always kind of stinks, and I guess with guys that young, too, with football or baseball or hockey, guys that young are are so far away from making it, you never know what they're going to be, and most of the times it seems like they don't amount to much, so... Nothing good to say as usual for me about the Pirates. Doesn't doesn't look like they had a winner there. What do you think, Garrett?
1: Yeah, I, I'm in my friend group. I am the notorious pessimist regarding the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I have a lot of friends from high school who um, sort of live and die. they well they they used to live and die by what the Pirates would do. You know, that stretch between 2013 and 15. you know, that was pretty fun watching them finally get back into the postseason. But everyone calls me a pessimist because what they're doing, they're basically just sh- I mean, their payroll, their payroll now is like, I think it's below $50 million, which is insane considering Major League Baseball gives every club like, what, 40 or $50 million every year from like revenues from TV or MLB TV or whatever it is. So the fact that they have a sub $50 million payroll... They bring in these two prospects who really, it's hard, it's obviously hard to project baseball prospects, for one, and, you know, number two, if they trade Starling Marte for these prospects and they never make a dent in the major leagues, these prospects don't I mean, what a terrible first trade for the new Pirates general manager. So if there're any of my friends listen to this podcast for whatever reason, just know that you know I'm still the realist. I, I don't I don't consider myself a pessimist. I consider myself a realist. And you know, I feel bad for all the pirate fans who blindly follow this team and continue to give Bob nutting money, even though they just unveiled those. New Pittsburgh script uniforms, but uh, Jim, I'm going to get off my soapbox before I go on a yeah, even
0: larger <laughs> Too much pirate uh, talk. But how yeah, about I mean. you talk some hockey from Tom Jackson? He says when Bukestad and Schultz are healthy, are they on the are they on the training block? Is a top six winger and right handed
1: defenseman the biggest needs? Um. So looking at Bukestad, Bukestad is the biggest question mark for me. I think when Schultz come back comes back. And presumably, he comes back relatively quickly pretty soon, if not you know that first game against the Flyers. We talked about this last week. I think I don't think you want to screw up the chemistry between Marino and Pedersen at the time being, having Yusho Ricola on the left and Justin Schultz on the right for your third pairing. I think that's a pretty darn good third pairing. Uh, once Brian Dumoulin comes back, Jack Johnson's going to get kicked out of that top spot for Dumoulin. Um, you know, maybe Jack Johnson goes into that bottom pairing left role with Justin Schultz. We talked about that last week as well. That really hasn't found much success in the time that that pairing has been together. But no, I, I fully, I fully see Justin Schultz finishing this season as as a Pittsburgh Penguin. Uh, Nick Bukestad, on the other hand, looking at the Penguins lineup right now, there, there probably is, uh, there, there probably is a place for him in this lineup, um, they could they're probably going to kick out either Sam Lafferty or Andrew Agazino. Heck, even maybe Alex Gauchenyuk becomes the odd man out and Mike Sullivan mixes and matches. Maybe he keeps Lafferty and Agazino and Bukestad, puts them on a line together, and Alex Gauchenyuk is the odd man out just because of his lack of production so far. Is he traded by the end of the trade by the trade deadline? It's an interesting scenario. He does make over $4 million in terms of his cap hit. Um, So if if the Penguins are looking for a little bit of more uh, financial flexibility come trade deadline time, that could be an interesting scenario. Uh, Is a top-six winger or a right-handed defenseman the biggest need? Uh, If you ask Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford believes... Maybe adding a depth piece to the bottom, the bottom six forwards could be uh, another priority too. Obviously, you'd like them to go and get that that big fish, whether it be that Crider, Chris Crider, or Tyler Toffoli. You know that that big fish that could slot next to Evgeny Malkin or Sidney Crosby for a prolonged playoff run. Um, right-handed defense. Uh, mm, I no, nah, I don't think right-handed defense is a, a big trade need. Um Latang, Marino, Schultz, and Rue I think that's a pretty solid one, two, three, four Rue Riedel as the depth guy. I don't think uh, a right-handed defense. I don't really think you need to touch that. I don't think Rutherford will either, but who knows? Who knows what Jim Rutherford thinks at this time of year? JP Logan, uh chances of landing Ricard Raquel and what's the most you'd be willing to offer for him?
0: Hey, JP, um, well, the chances, first of all, are depend on how interested Anaheim or how motivated they are to trade him. And since he's a young player with years left on his contract, I, there's a case that maybe there's they're not that motivated to trade him, in which case I'd say the chances are very low. Um, but Anaheim has said to maybe about to embrace a rebuild. They might be, able, be willing to move on if the offer is right. And I guess it would just depend on what they want back. Um, to what Garrett was saying earlier, I don't see the the Penguins trading Nick Bukestad this year because they need center depth. They need guys down the middle. And I think there really is still a spot for Bukestad on a on third line there. So I don't know if the Penguins have the NHL-type assets to give to Anaheim right now. So, I mean... I definitely think you'd be talking the twenty twenty first first round pick for Pittsburgh would be going to Anaheim to get Raquel without much second thought. You just have to surrender that for a young player with time left. Maybe also a top level prospect like a Sam Pauline or Kalen Addison could also be in the mix because you're going to have to get Anaheim to deal this guy. Is that too much to pay? Maybe so. Maybe not. I don't know. I guess we would have to find out what Jim Rutherford thinks really is the only thing that matters. So, yeah, I would say probably first round pick, high prospect, maybe some kind of other young piece like a Sam Lafferty or Alex Galchenyuk if they'd be interested even in that or something along those lines that might be able to help this year. But I guess we'll get there if we get there. Our next question comes to us from Danny, who says, do you think Galchenyuk has done enough to stay with the team through the trade deadline, or is he on the move?
1: Uh, the more I think about Alex Galchenyuk as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline is that if Jim Rutherford finds even the slightest fit, I think he deals Galchenyuk really without much hesitation. And that's even saying, even saying that with all of the injuries that Uh, The Penguins have sustained, you know, with reliance on Sam Lafferty, guys like Andrew Agazino. Look, I mean, 41 games played at, you know, and 16 points through 41 games. In his last five games played, he only has one point, which was a goal against Minnesota on January 14th. Um, So, look, he's playing less than 10 minutes of ice time per night, and it just hasn't worked. It just hasn't worked. We've we've talked so much about Alex Kowalchuk to this point on the podcast, and unfortunately, you know things like this don't work sometimes. It wasn't the right fit um, because of his contract. How much I don't know how much of his contract is actually left for him to be paid. Um, but I agree. I think the more the more I think about it, like I said, I, I just don't see him being on this team past the trade deadline, especially if Jim Rutherford finds a fit or passes him off as maybe another minor asset in what could be a larger trade. Okay, our last question of the week comes from Bredicus, who asks, this team seems to have something special this year in terms of resilience. Does this team remind you of any other years? And the second question is, which team do you not want to see come playoff time?
0: Hey, Brett. Yeah, I think it it kind of reminds you when watching maybe of the first year Mike Sullivan took over in 2015-16, kind of that just play mentality where they were just outworking other teams and obviously faster than other teams and just a a buzzsaw up and down the ice. And I think you kind of at times see this year's current team, even though injured, look like that a little bit. I, I think that's what you hope kind of it looks like. So I'd be encouraged with that. As far as playoff time, the team that jumps out to me, I, I would say the Boston Bruins because the Pens don't play well in Boston. They haven't won there in six years. The Bruins have Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak. Enough said, those are two goalies that always seem to play very well against the Pens. And just in general, um, Patrice on is hard for Sidney Crosby to deal with. He doesn't score a lot against him. So I would I would say Boston, but that would also be a good thing because that matchup wouldn't happen until the third round and by then I mean what are you going to want to see Tampa Bay there or something so by then you're probably going to get a hard team to play no matter what but I think Boston is the team that the pens kind of don't match up the best against what do you think on that one Garrett
1: yeah you took the the, the first part of the question you took it right out of my mouth I was immediately I, I was immediately drawn to the 2015-16 Penguins you know after struggling under the early part of the season and the the end of Mike Johnston's tenure of the team really wasn't all that great in terms of in the standings. And they do a complete 180 that, like you said, that just play mentality, the speed really came into a, a came a, a big factor of this team's identity. Uh, and, you know, it carried them into two Stanley Cups in back-to-back years. The, the, yeah, those are the really the two teams that stand out to me in terms of this resilience. And like you said, you love to see it because, you know, y- you immediately – it immediately brings you back to what helped them win the championships in the first place and you know the the reliance on never giving up and just keep playing you know those those clichés those mantras by Mike Sullivan you know they they worked they worked for championships and it seems like so far they've worked uh, to this point in the season uh who would i not want to see come playoff time uh to be quite honest with you um the Detroit Red Wings, I don't want to see them come playoff time. Uh, you know, the, the Detroit Red Wings, that's just a, a terrifying team. Uh, you yeah, know, that's a because lot of young...
0: if you see them, you're going to be on the golf course with them <laughs> not playing hockey.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah the Red Wings, uh, just a lot of young guns. Uh, you don't. They're just uh, a scary team to play, go up against. Jimmy Howard's still there. But no, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, Jim, I agree with you. The Bruins, uh, I always have reservations playing the Bruins. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are slowly regaining their form to what they looked like last year in the regular season. We all know how that story turned out once the postseason light flicked on for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't know if the Florida Panthers are the real deal yet, having won 28 games so far. So uh, I I think the jury's still out for the Panthers. You never want to really see the Capitals. Um, you know, that seems like the the go-to second-round matchup for the Penguins always has been, um, you know... the. Although the, the Penguins have largely been a thorn in Alex Ovechkin and the team's side over the years, they got the best of them a couple of years ago. Uh, the Islanders are another team that I have reserva- reservations about. Um, but yeah, I mean, once once playoff hockey clicks on, you know, it's a whole other ball game. And people say it all the time. It might be cliche, but you know, for whatever reason, you know, crazy things happen come playoff time. So could the Penguins? So like if if they met the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Florida Panthers and the Islanders in the first round, could they go on a crazy run? Yeah, they could sweep either any any of those teams. No, no one really knows what's going to happen between now and the middle of April when uh, when playoff time comes around. But uh, Jim, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up episode number 33 of the Pensburg Podcast?
0: Uh, that's a good place to end it, and it's nice to even I was thinking this as you were talking. It's nice to even get a question about the playoffs or let your mind start to get there now that all-star break is done and the bye week is almost done so we are definitely getting to that point of time where before you know it, spring will be here and the playoff seating and all that battles will be going on so yeah it's one of the most fun and exciting times of the year really for hockey fans so i hope everyone is ready to to go on this journey with us one more time
1: yeah, think about it, Jim. The, the next time we meet, and the next time another episode of the Pensburg Podcast goes out, it'll be will already be well into February. I mean, it, it's pretty crazy, you know. We're really coming down. I think there's what uh, th- less than thirty games left in the regular season. 30. You know, yeah. Uh, so that it's just going to go by in the blink of an eye. Like, like you said, before you know it, we'll be talking about playoff seedings and. You know, hyperventilating into our pillows at night, being afraid of what's to come, because my, my heart certainly starts to race come middle and late April into however long they go into a, hopefully what is a long playoff stretch. But uh, we'll wrap it up there, like you said, Jim. For Jim Rixner, oh, nope, nope, I'm not going to get into the outro just yet. I have to plug the socials. I almost let that slip. Um, you can follow along all season long. Keep up to date whenever a new episode of the Pennsburg Podcast gets released. Uh, we are on Every streaming platform of choice, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, um, a post also goes out on Pensburgh.com whenever a new podcast episode goes out. Uh, follow our Pensburgh Podcast Twitter account at Pensburgh Pod. Follow our main Pensburgh account at Pensburgh on Twitter and Pensburgh on Facebook. Uh, I think that just about does it there for Jim Rexner, Hooks Orpic. I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of the Pennsburg Podcast, and we will see you next week.